This is Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. It's powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To start your free 14-day trial, visit shopify.com. Hey, entrepreneurs, my name is Felix, and I'm the host of the Shopify Masters podcast. Each week, we put out podcast interviews with successful e-commerce entrepreneurs or experts to give you inspiration, motivation, and actionable tips to increase your traffic and sales so your store can generate the sales you need to live the life you want. On the last episode, you learned about the power of positioning and how it helped needwant.com build a $2.5 million portfolio of stores. On today's episode, you'll learn from an entrepreneur that uses Pinterest to drive her sales. In this episode, you'll learn how to balance building an audience and creating and selling products, how she created a viral giveaway that results in 7,000 new email addresses, and what are Pinterest group boards and how to work with them to drive traffic. Today, I'm joined by Beth Ann Schwamberger from BrilliantBusinessMoms.com. Brilliant Business Moms creates resources for mompreneurs like planners, guides, calendars, and uh, most recently, courses. It was started in 2014 and based out of San Diego, California. Welcome, Beth Ann. Thank you so much for having me, Felix. I'm so excited to be here. Awesome. So tell us a little bit more about your store and what are some of the most popular products that you sell? Sure. So our Shopify store, the most popular product by far has been our Brilliant Business Planner. So um, my sister and I created a planner that was really geared towards um, women with an online business. And this past planner season, you know, December, January 2015 to 16, um, it kind of sold really well. Um, and then I guess I should also say that our newest, most popular product is now um, a course that I've created on um, how to use Pinterest to, to make sales. Awesome. You definitely want to dive into the Pinterest thing. I think there is a bunch of entrepreneurs out there chomping at the bit trying to get more information about <laughs> Pinterest. So I'm excited to get to that in a second. Uh, but let's talk about kind of your your origin, like how you got started and everything. So, so I, I didn't even know there was such thing as planner season, but it makes a lot of sense that people are gearing up for it the next year at the end of the year. Um, so right. how did you get involved in this, I guess, um, I don't want to call it industry. How did you get involved in this like thing, this this planner kind of community? Sure. Um, so it really started after um, my sister and I kind of built up a community of moms who, you know, they were listening to our podcast um, where we were interviewing mompreneurs every week. Um, and so we did a survey of our audience and asked them, what are you struggling with? What's your biggest challenge as a mompreneur, essentially? And one of the big themes that we saw over and over again was time was how do I possibly organize my time, create enough time in my life to grow my business without kind of neglecting my family. Um, and so from that, my sister and I kind of researched and tested all these different time management strategies. And we wrote a book called Time Management Mama. Um, that's in our Shopify store as well and also on Amazon. Um, and from that also came the idea to create our own planner because we, you know, kind of the, the time management methods that we were using and the goal setting strategies that we were using, we, we couldn't find a planner that kind of incorporated all of that. So we just said, well, let's let's give this a go. Let's create a planner that we feel will be the perfect fit for our audience. Um, and so the first round of the planner, we actually launched in May of 2015. And I will be honest, as, as you spoke earlier about planner season, um, that's definitely a thing because when we tried kind of our six-month planner that would, you know, go July to um December 2015, those sales were not very good um, because it wasn't planner season. Nobody was really thinking about, yes, it's time to set my goals. It's time to, yeah, you know, like tackle a new thing. Um, and so those sales were not great, but um, we we stuck with it. Um, we, we knew the ladies who did purchase the planner, they were really loving it. And so came out with our 2016 version. And then in November, 2015 is when we said, let's get on Shopify. Let's get our own store, um, not be tied down just to Etsy and really focus on selling these planners. And, um, things really took off from there. 
Cool. Yeah, definitely want to dive into all these little pieces here that you mentioned. Uh, let's start with the the podcast. So you you began this uh, journey of yours by building an audience, um, I guess, through the podcast. Did you have an intention of eventually monetizing the podcast, or not the podcast, but the audience itself? Like, what was the the you know when you and your sister sat down and said, "Let's start a podcast." Like, what was the goal at that point at the very beginning? Sure. So I think we did naively think that. Uh, we could build up a huge podcast listenership and maybe just make an income through our podcast sponsors. Mm -hmm. Um, And that has not happened. Um, I think the most recent stats for us are maybe like 17,000 downloads a month, something like that. So for just a four four podcasts a month that we were putting out for a while there. Um, So we had like a nice core loyal audience, but not, you know, not big enough to be making a full-time income just from podcasting. Um, And the other motivation though for starting our podcast was we had our own little Etsy shop. um, And in that shop, we were selling these little butterfly terrariums and um, kind of outdoorsy craft type of things. Um, And then we also attempted to start a mommy blog and realized quickly that it was so hard. It was so, so tough to build up traffic to that mom blog to figure out how to monetize it. And so we got together and said, you know, what would be really great is if we could just pick the brains of other (laughs) successful um, mamapreneurs and see what they're doing. How are they managing their days? What strategies are they using? And so we said, all right, let's do this. If we have this problem and we want to pick the brains of mompreneurs, I bet there are a lot of other women out mm-hmm. there who would who would love to listen in and do the same thing. And so that's kind of how how the podcast was born. Yeah, I love that. I mean, obviously, I'm a big fan of podcasts. Uh, I think it's. Uh it's really dependent on what is your kind of preferred style of communicating, right? Because some people love writing. They can spend all this time writing and that's like how they, it's almost therapeutic for them just to sit down and write. For me, you know, writing is great. I think writing, I'm a big fan of writing too, but what comes more naturally is just, you know, having sitting down having conversation with somebody. So I feel like, you know, if that's the kind of style that you can feel like you get into, I think podcasting is a great medium, which kind of leads to my next question, which is, do you think uh, starting a podcast makes sense for uh, most brands? Like, who, What kind of brands or companies or businesses out there would a podcast make sense for? Ooh, that is a great question. Um, okay, so I think a podcast is a great fit for any brand that has this really tight-knit community that could build around it. Like, so mm-hmm. I'm thinking, for example, and I've seen this happen with, there's an Instagram account. I think it's called like at skate motivation, something like that. And so they've built like this really um, hardcore community, I guess you could say, around skaters and they feature skaters. Um, It's really neat. And so, and I actually do think that this guy ended up going on to start a podcast around that. So um, I think, you know, anytime people just kind of have a common mission, common goals, perhaps a common hobby, then yes, I think absolutely you could build a podcast around that. Um, I will say that certainly, as you know, Felix, um, starting a podcast is a lot of work. There's definitely some expenses up front to consider. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's things you have to figure out like either editing the sound yourself or hiring um, a sound editor, getting some fancy equipment. Um, But yes, I mean, podcasting is really a powerful way to build a community, build closer relationships with your customers. Um, And so it's been it's been really great for me. Yeah, there's definitely, uh, that's a good thing that I didn't even uh, consider was that there are more technical challenges with starting a podcast and starting a blog just because the blogs have been around for so long that it's, uh, you know, well kind of a worn path where podcasting is kind of new, you know, on the space, not necessarily a new medium, you know, it's practically radio, but, you know, getting started yourself is definitely some challenges involved there. Um, but the benefits, I think, uh, kind of, uh, I think you, you, you touched on a lot, which is that uh, you have this community that you are creating you think of like a popular tv show like the walking dead or something there's this like one thing that everybody in the community gravitates around that they all tune into so they all have something now in common with each other that they can now talk about in that community right because if you have you know like a planner community for you or a skating community for the example you gave they all now have this central 
TV show, radio show that they are all watching or listening to, and it really ties them closer together. Together, so I think that's a great kind of criteria that you laid out. Is that you need to have some kind of common hobby or a common lifestyle? I mean, maybe not even lifestyle. Lifestyle might be too broad, but a common hobby that you can tie everybody together uh, uh, for that. And the second thing I want to say is that podcasting is great just to get access to influencers because you can't always you know get people to, to spend the time to talk to you for an hour. You might not even be able to, to get them to talk, talk to you for a minute, but if you have a podcast, you have an audience, uh, it becomes a lot easier. And I think, you know, if you are a, a brand out there, you want to uh, uh, kind of market your your brand through accessing influencers. I think a podcast is a great medium, you know, because it gives you access to these people that you can, you know, talk to for an hour or however long you want for your podcast. And that can open up doors for, you know, co-branding or co-marketing, who knows what, you know, just access and building your network from there. So that's another kind of, um, I think, an unseen uh, benefit from podcasting. At least I didn't see upfront before I got started. Cool. So yes. um, yeah, totally yeah. agree there. <laughs> nice. Um, so I want to talk about um, maybe, maybe not specific to podcasting, but you know, you built an audience. I think maybe some listeners out there have also built an audience. Maybe they have a popular blog or a popular YouTube channel or maybe Instagram account, but they don't have a story. They don't have anything to sell yet. And you said that uh, you know you originally thought that you could just monetize that audience through like advertising. And you know, you've learned. I've def- definitely learned this too. Is that you need a lot of scale, like a lot, a huge audience to be before you can make, um, you know, an actual living and income off of just uh, creating content that, that you're giving away for free, that is. So if someone out there has content they're giving away for free and they're, you know, just giving it to their audience, like how, what was that transition like to selling a product? And maybe the first question I want to ask about this is the survey that you sent out. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Like how do you discover what you could create, well, how do you discover what your audience wants that you could create that you could sell to them? Sure. Um, so the survey, we did that quite a while ago. So I'm trying to think back yeah. um, to the questions we asked. But really, the main point of it was figuring out what are the common problems and struggles that our audience has, and then um, meshing that with what do we feel like we have the skill set to provide the solution for. Because, you know, obviously, some of the problems, like an, another common problem they had was traffic, was getting enough traffic to their shop or to their blog. And at that point, we felt like, well, we're still struggling with that too. So I don't think we're going to come up with a solution to that particular problem right now. But when the time management thing came up over and over again, and you know, my sister and I were both um, stay-at-home moms, and so we were juggling our kids and all sorts of things with our business. And so we thought, oh, like I guess you know, we do know more about this than we originally thought. And, you know, we can dig in even more and really provide this overarching solution to the problem. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's where I would say to start is just solve a problem, solve a problem that your audience has. Um, and yeah, it's, it becomes way easier from there yeah, no, to market. That- that's definitely true. So I think the, the issue then is that let's say you, well, let's start with the, the traffic one because when someone says mm-hmm. I need more traffic to my, my, my shop, it's such a broad problem, right? So like right. there, when I want to say broad, I mean like there's just so many possible solutions for it and it might vary from person to person. So when someone, when your survey response are coming back saying they don't have enough time, they don't know how to, how to kind of prioritize the task, like these are, you know, kind of uh, feedback that you're getting was the immediate product that popped in your head uh, a planner or were there other kind of options that you because I guess how do you how do you go from the problem to then discovering what kind of product to actually focus on because there could be multiple solutions for the same problem right exactly um, I mean some people even suggested to us well why, why are you doing a planner why wouldn't you create a time management app mm. and so you know that honestly came from reaching back out to our audience. And this was a really quick little survey we did inside our private Facebook group. Um, So inside any private Facebook group you can do, it's like ask a poll or create a little poll. And so we did a bunch of little polls like that to figure out, did more people want um, an app to help them manage their tasks and goals and time? Or did more people want something physical, something that was, you know, pen to paper? And 
it came back very clearly that our audience wanted the pen and paper. They were kind of feeling overwhelmed with the screens and technology mm-hmm. and that that in some ways was just an extra distraction to them and so they wanted pen to paper. Um, but you're right. I mean, I guess there's a bunch of different things we could have created. Um, I, I don't know. It just kind of flowed naturally. The, the book definitely came first. So writing Time Management Mama. Um, and then from there, we kind of realized, while this isn't the entire solution, we were still, you know, struggling with putting all of our own time management tips into practice. And that's when we realized, oh, okay, I guess we need more than you know, just a little notebook to keep track of all of our goals and things and that, you know, a planner would be really great. Awesome. So come on, lay out the timeline here. You started the podcast in 2014, wrote the book, Time Management Mama, shortly after that, and then created a planner in May 2015. So during this entire time, did you have an Etsy store or was the the book the first product in the, the Etsy store? So we did have um, our first Etsy store, which is called The Amateur Naturalist. So totally unrelated to our our podcast audience. Yeah. And Brilliant Business Moms. It was just this little hobby thing we had started a couple years before. So, um, and that shop is still open. My sister's still selling out of that shop. But um, yeah, so we were just kind of doing that on the side while we built up this new community. Awesome. So when you had this this audience, do you remember how like as large it was? I know it was spread out between the podcast, the group, and uh, maybe an email list, and maybe traffic to your blog. Like how sizable was it? Or kind of give us a ballpark, just so that the listeners out there can kind of get a feel for when it might make sense for them if they have an audience, don't have products yet. Like when does it kind of make sense to start f- stop kind of focusing so much on growing that audience and more mm-hmm. on how to actually monetize it or create products for that audience. Sure. Um, So I think when we launched our planner, the first round, May 2015, we had less than 3,000 people on our email list. So we were not huge. I think our podcast downloads at that point were maybe 12,000 downloads a month. Um, Blog page views coming in at under 15,000 page views a month. So not huge website traffic at all. I mean, very small. Um, we had, let's see, we had our private Facebook group. And so we had several hundred women in the private Facebook group. Um, and from our perspective, it kind of felt like we have, you know, several hundred people that we kind of viewed as they're our core audience. You know, these women are tuning in every week. They're in touch with us via the Facebook group or email or things like that on a regular basis. So, yeah, really just, I feel like if you have several hundred loyal audience members that um, really love what you do and connect with you, then I think absolutely start thinking about how you can solve their problems. Um, And then when you come out with a great product that does solve their problems, then the fun part is as you market that product, your audience will continue to grow even more. Mm, I like that. Yeah. You know, because when you were first saying, uh, you know, 15,000 page views, you know, 12,000 downloads, I think that's one of the, I bet a lot of listeners out there are like saying, wow, I wish I could have that. And I wish I could get there too. <laughs> I think that's, I think you're selling yourself short there. I think that that's uh. a, a great progress to have, especially only, you know, a year or so into, into your business. Um, so this idea of, I think what you're saying is uh, kind of alluding to this earlier about like balancing, like building an audience versus creating products Did you uh, kind of mm-hmm. try to do both at a same time or was there a certain point where you were saying like, okay, stop driving traffic or stop focusing on traffic and focus more on creating these products? Like, was there like a different phases uh, that you were going through or did you just try to do both at the same time? Sure. That's a great question. Um, I would say we continue to focus on building our audience while, you know, marketing our planner and book. That was kind of all through the summer of 2015. But then when we came out with our 2016 planner, and this was November 2015, we had that, you know, the 2016 planner ready to go, ready to kind of hit the ground running and market that hard. Um, that's when we really quit focusing on building the audience and we focused just on how do we get sales. So, you know, we tried all sorts of things like blog features, 
uh, giveaways, um, you know, paying some Instagram influencers, setting up a niche Instagram account, um, and then Pinterest obviously came into play. So yeah, at that point, we really were not focused on traffic. We were just focused on how do we bring the right customers in the door that would want to buy this planner. Mm, makes sense. So you were mentioning earlier about how if you have a core group of a couple hundred uh, loyal, maybe not customers yet, you don't, you're not selling anything, but loyal listeners or fans or people that are on your mailing list, uh, that's when it starts making making sense to to sell a product to them. So if you have a core group that you um, have feeling that they exist in your your proof audience, you have you know all these different channels that you're talking about: Instagram, Pinterest, Facebook groups, uh, your mailing list, your blog, and your podcast. What do you out of all those mediums? Which one do you think is the best one to focus on if you want to really cultivate the relationship with that core group? Oh, such a good question. Um, I mean, I think the email list, you have to build your email list. I think that is so core to any business. And I do think a lot of shop owners kind of neglect their email list for a little longer than they should. Um, Because the thing with that email list is it's essentially it's algorithm proof, you know, so it doesn't matter if Facebook changes, Instagram changes, Pinterest, the Pinterest algorithm changes too. Um, that email list is yours. And so Mm. you can always reach out to those customers. So whichever, um, form of social media you really want to focus on to build your audience, um, make sure you're getting them onto your email list. So I'd say that's number one. And then number two, that's, that's really tricky. Um, you know, I obviously advocate for Pinterest now because it's been great for me and it's something that I can really set on autopilot. Um, but, but our private Facebook group has been awesome for community building and in building a relationship. So it might depend on the particular business and what their overall goals are. I love that saying that email's algorithm proof and I, I completely agree with it. I, I bet like the only change in the last like 20, 25 years through the email's algorithm is maybe Gmail's like priority inbox where they start mm-hmm. separating people's. Yeah, I guess, I, guess, I guess what you're getting at with the whole algorithm proof thing is that if you have access to someone's email list, you send them something, they're going to get it. It's not going to be like filtered necessarily or prioritized a different way, you know, until, you know, obviously Gmail's uh, latest features, but there's, you know, kind of best practices on how to deal with that and the changes like you're saying for algor- for the, the the inbox your emails they don't change right you again you have access to someone's email you send them something they'll get it so I like that saying cool so um let's um, start talking about when things kind of change for you so you you were saying off air and hopefully you're okay talking about this too <laughs> yeah. well, maybe, maybe I'll let you say then so what how let's say you know after the planner launched um, in May 2015 didn't do too well. Like how much, like what were the sales looking like at that time for you guys? Oh man. I mean, let's see. (sighs) I know we sold less than a hundred planners for our May, 2015 launch. And so that was like over a month or so. Honestly, I think we may have only sold like 60 or 65. So it was not, uh, it didn't feel great, I guess. So why, um, why didn't you, um, why didn't you give up at that point? You know, because most people, uh, <laughs> when you, they say, you know, if you want to test a product or test if there's a, a market for your product, you can do something simple as you know, driving to a landing page, collecting their email address. And that's kind of a, I guess, a proxy for, for actual demand for your product or at the very kind of, um, aggressive end, if you really, really, really want to find out someone wants your products, see if they'll buy it. If you're only getting mm-hmm. like 60 sales or so, was that like deflating? Like, what was that like? Like, how did you, like, obviously you've continued, you know, because, you know, spoiler alert, you're still doing this now, but like, how did you know mm-hmm. to not give up at that time? I think, you know, the, the women who did purchase the planner, they really loved it. And so I think that part was encouraging. You mm. know, when they got their planner in the mail, they were sharing pictures with us and posting on Instagram about it and we're so excited and thought it was so helpful. And so we felt like, okay, well this, you know, these sales, we can build on this. Um, this is something that we could continue to grow as they start telling their friends. Um, and as we build up our audience more, um, and two, and, and this, I have to give my sister credit. She kept saying, you know, Bethann, this is not peak planner season. This is, um, this is not the right time when people are really thinking about buying a planner. And so we need to give this another try. This was kind of our beta test 
Um, and so I'm so glad that, you know, I listened to her and, and it was discouraging, but yeah, we just, we didn't give up and, um, the next planner season went, went much better. Yeah. And for like a seasonal product, um, like yours. So let's say, you know, it launched in May and then the summer happens like during that time and the next kind of seasonal boost in the end of the year, like what were you doing in that kind of middle period? So in that middle period, we were first of all, um, kind of revamping the planner, changing a little bit of the designs. Um, we did a survey of everybody who had purchased the planner to get their feedback and see what did they love the most about the planner? What pages would they like us to add, you know, what was missing. And so we did improve the planner in that time period as well. Um, added some new planning pages, some new layouts to it, um, added some sticker tabs that people could add to the side. Um, so that was one, we were making our product better. Um, and then two, we really focused on building our email list. Um, I did a viral planner giveaway. This actually, it didn't happen until January, but I kind of had been planning it all fall. And so that got us thousands of new email subscribers. Wow. Um, we started planning out. We really just came up with our marketing plan of, you know, where, what blogs do we want to get a feature on? Um, I started doing some YouTube videos that featured the planner and I also did um, planner reviews of other people's planners just to like get people in the door and um, kind of have my YouTube channel be seen as a place where you could watch planner reviews. Um, we built up our Pinterest account, so focused on, you know, time management Pinterest boards and then a planner's Pinterest board and um, all of those kinds of things. Um, it focused on building up our Instagram following. So we had doubled that from, um, let's see, 750 up to 1,500 followers and then doubled it again. So now at over 3,000 followers. Um, so yeah, just really um, marketing plans and, and building that email list and following. Awesome. So let's let's kind of break this all down. And I definitely want to get to Pinterest too, because I think that was the big game changer for you. Mm -hmm. um, but starting with this viral giveaway, like what was, what did you give away? And like, how did you uh, concoct this like virality <laughs> from it? Like, how did you get like a thousands sure. of email subscribers? I think that's like a big win for any business. If you can get thousands of email subscribers, like that can really change your business. Yes. Yes. Um, so what I did, I called it the Great Big Planner Giveaway. And because during the fall of 2015, I decided, let me go buy up all these different planners because one, it was great um, market research for me or great product research to figure out what are the other popular planners? What features do they have? What makes them great? What makes people like them? And what are they missing? You know, how could, uh, how can I fill a hole in the marketplace that these other planners aren't addressing essentially? So I ordered up a bunch of the most popular planners. Um, and so then I did those um, planner reviews of them on my YouTube channel. And obviously like I was super fair and, and, <laughs> you know, nice in the way that I did this. It wasn't like I bought all these planners just so I could tear them down and yeah. not, you know, I essentially said like, I know my planner's not right for everybody. So on my channel, I'm going to just give really completely honest reviews of everybody's planners so that, you know, someone stumbles across my, my channel, they can make the decision that's right for them. Um, and so I did that. And so now I had, I think it was eight planners. So I had eight awesome planners, like premium price planners. I mean, like, um, Emily Lay's simplified planner, Whitney English, day designer. Um, these are planners that cost over $50 <laughs> for someone. And so um, it's a prize that a lot of women would want to get. So I did the great big planner giveaway and I gave away all eight planners to one winner. So, and obviously my brilliant business planner was one of the planners that was in the prize. Um, but I just, I was honestly amazed that so many women were excited about this prize because uh, there's, there is, like you said, there's this whole planner community. There are ladies who are obsessed with planners and they don't just buy one. They literally buy five every year and they wow. use them all. Yeah, it's crazy. They use them all in different ways. And sometimes they use them almost as like a journal or a scrapbook. So it's this whole crazy world of planning ladies. Um, and so people were really excited about this giveaway. And so what I did, I used the key Sumo giveaways app. And so what I was able to do is say that anytime 
um, it, it gives everyone who enters their own referral link so they can refer friends to the giveaway. And anytime a friend enters through their link, that person would get 10 extra entries into the giveaway. So it encouraged people to share about the giveaway because if they really wanted to win the prize, then the more they would share, the more chances they had to win. And so um, what I saw was that, you know, the first kind of a thousand people who entered the giveaway, they were all sharing it with their friends. And so I ended up with, I think it was... 9,000 total entrants into the giveaway and about 7,000 of those people were brand new to me. So brand new subscribers. Um, I will say too, I did do some Facebook ads. I created a video. um, And if you go to my Brilliant Business Moms Facebook page, you can see it over on my video section on the side. Um, I created kind of a silly video of me running on the, the onto the stage kind of saying, I'm giving all these planners away. Uh, So I spent, I think I only spent a couple hundred dollars maybe total on my Facebook ads, but it really did kind of help incubate that giveaway and get more entries into it. And then obviously those people kind of did the hard work for me and, and spread the word. So you don't necessarily have to have, you know, someone listening out there might want to build an email list, but they might not have, a, I guess, a foundation or a base because that's the most important part of kicking mm-hmm. the, kicking this off because you want your current audience to then uh, broadcast it out to all their friends to uh, improve their chances of winning uh, this giveaway. Because I'm not sure if you mentioned that, but every time you refer somebody, it mm-hmm. uh, improves your chances of winning yourself. So, But you need to have an, an audience already to kick this off. But you're saying that you could also just run Facebook ads to drive them to a giveaway. And then that could also potentially... Do you know how much... Uh, well, I guess what uh, the might, this might be hard to say, but exactly but do you know how much of the your the breakdown between your your current audience or your existing audience versus the audience that you're able to get from the Facebook ads uh, I guess contributed to the number yes. of entries Oh, that's a great question. Okay, well, I I actually did a whole breakdown of this giveaway on my blog. Um, Let me get back to that. If I can get to that blog post page, I can show you. Um, I will say, so when I launched this giveaway, our list had about 3,000 people on it. Mm -hmm. And so then obviously the giveaway took us to, you know, nearly 10,000 subscribers in just, you know, a week or two. That's amazing. Uh, so yeah, it was insane. And then, um, man, I, that's why building your list is just so great because now it, it seems like it just keeps snowballing. Um, so, you know, did this giveaway in January, launched us from 3,000 to almost 10,000 subscribers. And now let's see, we're sitting at end of April, I have over 18,000 subscribers on my list. Um, I've obviously done other things to get those too, but um, yeah, that, that list yeah. is, now is that, that, very valuable. That's amazing. So um, do you find that the quality of, um, I guess, prospective customers is just as good from a giveaway versus people that maybe uh, came across your blog post, your podcast, and kind of organically ended up on your list rather than through a giveaway? Would you know that? That is a great question. I will say that is a caveat I will give you. I don't think the quality of the subscribers is as good. So it's a great way to like get exposure for yourself, build your list, kind of get some confidence for your business and your brand. But one thing I did notice of all of the the people who enter my planner giveaway over the next several months, those tended to be people who unsubscribed at a higher rate than mm. my core audience. And so, um, and one of the mistakes I made is I really should have done this giveaway in November so that I had a long planner season to pitch mm. my planner to them. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of like, they kind of ended up on my list towards the end of planner season. And so I was talking less about planning, goal setting, time management, and talking more just business tips. And so I think that kind of turned a few people off. And so, you know, some people left, Um, but I would say, you know, so of those 7,000 subscribers I gained, I'd say maybe 1,000 of them have unsubscribed. So that still leaves me with 6,000 subscribers. And, you know, these are women that I can, um, 
start priming towards this next year's planner season. And, um, and actually I, the next iteration of the planner is going to be a version that's for every woman. Um, I've realized that what people loved most about our planner was the weekly layout, the goal setting pages. And I had so many women approach me and say, Hey, your planner is gorgeous, but I don't have a business. Do you have Mm something just for me. Um, so again, you know, just listening to that audience helps me figure out h- how to refine, refine my product. Definitely. Makes a lot of sense. Cool. So, um, I, let's, let's just kind of just jump into the, the, the topic that I think everyone wants to hear more about it, which is about Pinterest. So when did you start, I guess, focusing on Pinterest and was it specifically for uh, brilliant business moms or were you using it for your Etsy business? Like what were you using Pinterest for? Sure. So I really dug into Pinterest in November of 2015. I had a Brilliant Business Moms account on there pretty much since that the podcast started in 2014, but really just wasn't using it well, just kind of pinning things here and there, didn't have a, a very clear plan or strategy. Um, there is, I do have a separate Pinterest account for the Amateur Naturalist Etsy shop. So in the past, I did use Pinterest for that Etsy shop and did see some results, but I kind of of like didn't have the time to dig in and see the kind of sales that I, I wanted to see. So really wasn't until November 2015 with the, the, my brand new Shopify store that I dug in and realized, you know, holy cow, I think I can make uh, make this Pinterest thing work. Awesome. So kind of looking at the, um, the stats from your, your brilliant business mom's um, a Pinterest account, uh, you have 125 boards, 19,000 pins, 12,500 followers and you're following about 4,000 people. So just kind of an idea of where you're at. Um, so mm-hmm. how, like, what was your strategy coming into this? Like, I, th- I think when someone's thinking about starting on Pinterest, what should their goal be? Is it, should, should it be to grow their followers or like what is the, the um, I guess, initial strategy when you're starting off with a new Pinterest page? Sure. So my overall goal was that I wanted to make sales. I felt like mm-hmm. I'm not going to use any form of social media unless it's bringing in sales for my store. So yeah, so <laughs> that should be your big picture goal. Um, but of course, yes, you do. You get more traffic and you get more sales as you build your following. Um, but I actually kind of have a two-pronged approach to Pinterest. I use it organically and I also use promoted pins. And so when I first got on Pinterest and dug in in November, I started with promoted pins because I felt like, you know what? I don't have time to organically build my following. I want to make mm-hmm. sales now. <laughs> and so um, I took some of my planner um, photos. I turned them into some beautiful collage. Um, So, you know, the types of pins that would do really well on Pinterest. And then I created another that kind of, it had a headline at the top and said, announcing the brilliant business planner, your life and business simplified, and then had a great lifestyle shot of the planner. And so I promoted those pins and those pins went directly to my planner listing in my Shopify store. And kind of figured out, game the game with promoted pins, and and I'll definitely be happy to share kind of some of those tips. And really, just started getting this continuous stream of of traffic and sales from those those pins. Yeah, let's talk about that. Like, what is this the strategy? What are some tips for for running a successful promoted pinning uh, campaign? Sure. So what I found is. One, you need to use a lot of keywords. Um, so the way it works is you'll go in and Pinterest will say, um, okay, what, you know, what keywords do you want to target with this pin? So obviously I can say something like planner, 2016 planner, all of those general words. And so what happens is when someone searches on Pinterest for those terms, Pinterest might choose to show your promoted pin in those search results. And so, you know, get you exposure. Um, and then you're only paying for the clicks. So I'm only paying when someone clicks on my pin and comes over to my shop. So my tips there is um, Pinterest does not do a really great job of suggesting a ton of keyword ideas to you. So I suggest that people go over to the Google Keyword Planner to come up with tons, tons more keywords. And I really think you need to have 50 to 100 keyword phrases that you're targeting with any promoted pin. 
which you know might sound like a lot to a beginner, but you're really going to need to give Pinterest a lot to work with because you're competing against some really big brands who have a lot of money to spend. And so you've got to give them tons of keywords. So is it is it is it the more the better or should you be selective at all? Because I think, you know, back in the very early days of, let's say, SEO, for example, the whole keyword stuffing thing was really popular where we just put everything and anything on, on your site because there was no kind of penalty for it. Could you... Is there any kind of penalty? Not maybe not directly from Pinterest, but is there a a downside to having too many keywords? Oh, that's a great question. Okay, so there's a little confusion there. So what I mean is, I don't want you to put a hundred keyword phrases into your pin description. What I mean is that you want to target a hundred different keyword phrases that people are searching for on Pinterest. And okay. it's a little hard to explain unless you're inside the promoted pins app. But as soon as you go in and you say, "Hey, Pinterest, I want to promote this pin," they're going to say, "Okay, great. What keywords do you want to target? What key, like when should we show?" your pin to other people, essentially. And so you're exactly right, though. You do need to be specific. So for example, I did not target a keyword phrase like free printable planner, because that would be silly. I want Mm. people to buy my planner. So I'm not looking for freebie seekers. Um, I actually didn't target any printable planner phrases because generally someone looking for a printable planner, they have a smaller budget and they're looking for something more affordable. So, um, but another thing I did is I would target, let's say some big related planner brands. So, um, Emily Lay, for example, Whitney English, I can target those words that people might search for on Pinterest because they're looking for those planners. But then all of a sudden, my beautiful planner pops up. And so it's a way that they're kind of discovering Mm -hmm. my product. So that has worked really well. So yeah, so that's what I mean by, you know, 100 keyword phrases. Definitely don't don't stuff your pin description with all those phrases. Just use one or two keyword phrases in your pin description. But over inside the promoted pins application, you do want to pick tons of phrases in your niche, very targeted for sure, but but come up with 50 to 100 phrases there. Um, and then the other thing I did want to recommend is when I first started using promoted pins, I was paying way too much for, for clicks. And so now I start out bidding just 10 cents a click um, because, you know, I've figured out based on my website visitors and conversion rate, that's a number that works for me that then leads to to profitable sales. But Pinterest will try to tell you, hey, other marketers are spending a dollar per click. So you your bid is way too low. But uh, just my recommendation to new shop owners is, is don't listen to Pinterest. <laughs> Keep your bids low and, and see what happens with that first. Cool. So in, t- in the, uh, the pin description itself, uh, any tips there? Like what should you be writing about? Like how do you write in a way that gets people to actually click and check out your, your products? Sure. So um, I definitely like to write in a conversational tone, put some keywords in there, but make it obviously natural. So I might say something like, um, finally, a planner that organizes my life and business all in one place. I um and and I also kind of write in the in the um the first person because when women pin on Pinterest like let's say I find something I really like what I'm going to put in the pin description is oh my goodness I love this living room these colors are so beautiful and so that's how I want to write my pin descriptions too so it looks like a friend would just be pinning it and sharing it with the friend so I would say something like you know I love I love the goal setting pages in this planner and the florals are so beautiful and then I might end it though with a very targeted keyword phrase like great planner for 2016. Yeah, yeah I like that approach of making it seem like it's actually part of the content. And it kind of is, you know, but if you maybe do write the, the kind of ad correctly, you don't want to make it like stand out and people recognize that it's an ad because of the way you're speaking to, to, the, to the reader or viewer uh, in the pin description or maybe even the, the photos. But you want to make it seem natural. And I think that's what you're getting at. You want to make it seem as if you were just posting this as a regular uh, pin. Is that, is that the, what you're getting at? Exactly, exactly. Just make it as natural as you can. Kind of get inside the head of how you would talk about a pin if you were just pinning for yourself personally. And and yeah, do it that way. Definitely don't write things like buy now and mm. click here and get my planner. Like, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> make it feel natural and, and conversational. 
Cool. So um, have you also, is this the same, because I know nothing about Pinterest, so I'm just kind of going off the top here, but do you have um, experience with the, the Bible pins too, or is that related to the promoted pins? Or what, what is the difference between the two? Sure. Great question. So I do have Bible pins in my Shopify store, and I do recommend that anyone who has Shopify get yourself Bible pins. So it's it's really easy, or at least it was for me. Um, you literally just go inside your Shopify store, and you'll see where it says channels. And so like mine has online store, and then Pinterest, Facebook, buy button, Twitter, and you can literally just activate those channels. So you click over to Pinterest. Um, they had some requirements to, to approve me for Bible pins. And I think really all that it was, was, um, you know, do you have your policies written on your site? Um, I'm going there now just to see. And I had to obviously have a Pinterest business account um, and connect that to my Shopify. Um, the, the one thing is they will not let you do a digital good as a buyable pin, but you can do a digital good as a promoted pin. So um, let me talk quickly about the difference between those two. So a buyable pin is um, where if someone runs across that pin on Pinterest, and I think right now it's just on iOS that the buyable pins work. So on your on someone's iPad or their iPhone, they're scanning Pinterest. Let's say they search for 2016 planner. Well, if they run across my planner, it'll have a little button where they can buy now. And so they can literally, they can um, just buy that product right on Pinterest without ever having to go to my website. Um, Now, the one thing I will say, I do not get very many sales through my buyable pins. It's a very small percentage. I get way more sales through promoted pins. And so promoted pins is obviously, that's Pinterest ad platform. So, um, Promoted pins is available right now to um, U.S. businesses, but I do believe they're expanding to Canada very soon. Um, so that's what I talked about where you pick your target keyword phrases and you pick your bid per click. And then so you, I get people to my shop by paying to show my product to them or show my pins to them, essentially. Um, and here's the other difference. Um, Pinterest will not let you promote a buyable pin. So I can only use my buyable pins organically on Pinterest. So I can spread them out to my different boards. I could put a buyable pin on a group board if I want, but I cannot then turn it into a promoted pin and also have it be buyable right on Pinterest. Hmm. Kind of a bummer. It'd be re- I, I mean, honestly, I wonder if they don't let you do it because it just would be so easy. I mean, I feel like I could make sales um, incredibly easily if, if I could combine the two, but... They won't let you. Yeah, I was going to ask that that question next because that definitely cuts down on the the steps involved, right? Because if you're promoting a pin, um, it sounds like the reason why promoted pins are working better or giving you more sales is because it's available in more places. I think you said bio pins only works now if someone's browsing the Pinterest, mm-hmm. the iOS device. But yeah, if you could promote a Bible pin, I could definitely see how it could drive up your sales because people don't have to leave the site, don't have to leave Pinterest and go through a you know, checkout process. So that makes sense. Right. Um, cool. So let's talk about your organic pinning strategy. Like how do you, what's the, what do, how do you, um, I guess, decide what you should be posting, the frequency and you know, just give us an idea of like what's your strategy? Sure. So or, my organic Pinterest strategy boils down to this. I want to draw in my ideal customer by creating the most gorgeous, well-curated boards that kind of um, fits what they're looking for, that solves their problems, that kind of displays that ideal lifestyle they aspire to. And so in my case, you know, because my brand is I'm serving moms in business essentially. So I have boards like Pinterest marketing or Instagram marketing or blogging tips. Um, But then I also have obviously the time management piece. So, you know, I've got a time management board and then I have one board that's planners, time management and organization for moms where um, that board I really love because I can curate you know, beautiful office spaces along with great time management blog posts, along with great planner pins. And so that's the 
kind of board where my ideal customer, if they stumble across any of those pins, they stumble across that board, they're going to say, wow, this is gorgeous. This is filled with great high quality content. So I'm going to go ahead and follow this board. And I may even go ahead and follow this entire account because, you know, this lady is doing a great job of curating awesome content. Um, And that is the one thing I would say a lot of shop owners get this wrong. They feel like um, they just want to use Pinterest to put their own products out there. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you do that, your account is going to be really boring and really, I mean, it's just like, it's going to be one dimensional if you're just pinning your own products. And so you really need to use Pinterest for what it's intended for, which is to just curate the best from around the web. I like that. I was going to say too, before you, you, you said that last piece was that you're talking about all these uh, kind of all this content that you're putting out there. And I don't think you maybe you only mentioned it once about your own products, but the rest of the things you're posting about have nothing to, to do exactly with your product, but it has to do with things that your target customers that would buy your product, the things that they're interested in. So it might not even be about planning. It could be about the lifestyle, like you're saying, that they might want to live. And that's something that you really have to, I guess, tap into to really understand your customer and what else they like outside of just your own products. Because you could imagine uh, if you were running a blog for your your store, you don't want to just post about your products because no one wants to read a blog about products. They want to read a blog about things that solve the problems or interesting, entertaining things about a lifestyle that they want. And I think that you really nailed it with your kind of um, the way that you approach it with Pinterest. Um, cool. So do you, uh, you, you, you know, you have, let's say, look, look at this real quick. You have, um, you know, a bunch of different boards. How do you recommend people kind of organize their entire set of, you know, 125 boards for you, which is a ton, I think, (laughs) you know, um, how do you decide how to split things up and how do you decide when to add new boards? Sure. Great question. So, um, Start with the best of your own stuff board. So for a Shopify owner, your best blog posts, your best products. You can definitely create one board and make that your first one to kind of be like, hey, that's kind of your little billboard, your little advertisement for what you have to offer. So I think that's totally fine. And then um, after that, I definitely recommend if you're, you know, your Pinterest account is brand new, just trying to get it built up, start with 10 boards. Start with 10 boards that are going to draw in that ideal customer. So um, I'll take um, one of my Pinterest students as an example. So um, Kim, her shop is Lucy Jane Totes. And so she makes adorable, these great tote bags and then little pouches. And so what Kim has done is, you know, one of her target customers is brides who want to buy bridesmaids gifts. And so, cause she has these, um, you know, custom monogram little pouches and all these different colors and patterns. And so it makes such a great bridesmaids gift. So Kim has has boards where it's like pink wedding inspiration. And so, of course, she's got gorgeous wedding pins from all over Pinterest. And then she sprinkles in her beautiful customized totes and just the ones that are also pink. Um, and she does the same thing for, you know, an orange wedding or black and white wedding, um, things of that nature. And then, you know, she could also do her other kind of target customer would be a mom who needs a, a big tote to organize everything. So she could have a, you know, organization tips for moms type of board and draw in her ideal customer that way. But yeah, I just recommend start with, start with 10 boards, just figure out what topics your customer would be searching for on Pinterest. And, you know, certainly start with the the types of boards where you can sprinkle your own products throughout those boards. Mm, makes sense. So, um, in the in the world of Instagram, what uh, a popular thing that people do is um, basically, I guess, work with each other and work with influencers to to trade kind of promotions. Right? You work with a, a popular mm-hmm. influencer, and maybe if you're not big yet, maybe you pay them to to post your your products, and maybe if you are big enough, you can work with other brands to each share each other's kind of content. Does that happen in the world of Pinterest too? Like, do Pinterest users do that as well? It's a little bit different on Pinterest. I would say the equivalent is Pinterest group boards. And so that's another thing that I'm 
I am part of tons of group boards. That's why you see, you know, I'm part of 125 boards. Um, you know, some of those are obviously my own boards, but some of them are just group boards that I'm a member of. Um, now the group board community, it's filled with a lot of women bloggers, but um, I think that product-based businesses are getting more and more savvy with this and creating their own group boards. And so the way a group board works is, um, for example, if I go to create a group board today, let's say I create... Um, creative baby gifts and and that's my group board and I just want to have great baby gift pins on my board. So um, all of my Pinterest followers, um, the ones that follow my entire account, automatically become followers of that brand new board I created. Mm. And so then what I can do is I can invite contributors to that board. So I can invite whoever else I want from Pinterest to come and, and pin onto my board. And so what they do by pinning onto my board is they get their pins in front of all of my um, followers. So that's how group boards work. I mean, there are some huge bloggers who have group boards with hundreds of thousands of followers. And so um, if you can find those really killer, big, popular group boards that are in your niche, then definitely do that. Definitely um, get in touch with those group board owners and, and ask them if you can join and be a part of them. Awesome. So the, how often do you pin? Is it a, can you be pinning too much? Like what's the frequency that you recommend for someone that's maybe starting out? Sure. I think with even just 10 pins a day, if you can use a skin, a pin scheduler, um, that's a great place to start. I currently pin about 125 pins a day, but again, that's how, yeah, I know it sounds a little crazy and I might, I might cut it down a little bit. I don't think you, you don't have to pin that many to do well. Um, but because I'm part of so many group boards, I can take my best blog posts and essentially circulate them out to all my group boards on a regular basis. And then I also have all of my core, um, boards that I own, I do what's called looping and I use board booster to help me loop my pins. And so every single day, two of my older pins from the bottom of my board get repinned to the top of my board. And so what it does is kind of just refresh that board and make it look active and potentially get those pins back out into the Pinterest feed. And so that's why I'm pinning so many a day. But if you're brand new to Pinterest, um, you can start with 10 pins a day just just um, try to keep your account active. You do, Pinterest does reward you if you're pinning every day on the site. Um, and that that can feel overwhelming as, as a busy shop owner. So I do enjoy using a pin scheduler. It keeps that going on autopilot for me. Yeah, I like this idea of, um, I think you called it uh, looping, which, it, it, which I think... Uh you sh- we shouldn't be afraid to reshare content, especially the ones that are working well or people that are actually enjoying because not everybody's going to see it the first time, especially people that are joining your audience later. They're going to miss out on all the great things that you're sharing before. You know, as long as it's content now like super promotional, don't be afraid to put it out mm-hmm. there again because, you know, uh, even if they've seen it before, they might have forgotten about it or might want to see it again. And definitely there are going to be people out there that never saw it at all the first time and now you're kind of giving them value again without having to create new content each each and every time. So you mentioned um, you know 125 pins a day. It doesn't sound scalable unless you're using some tools and apps, right? Can you talk a little bit about the the apps that you that you use for uh, managing Pinterest? Sure. So I currently use Board Booster. That's my favorite pin scheduler. Um, I've tried Viral Tag and Tailwind in the past, and those are okay, but Board Booster just really has more features um, on it. So um, Board Booster, the nice thing too about it is you can start out at just, I'm looking up the plans right now, actually. Um, You can start out, I think, at just $5 a month if you're only pinning, you know, a few things a day. And then I think I'm on the $50 a month plan simply because I'm pinning so often. (laughs) Yeah, cool. So, um... You know, with the success of um, that you've had on Pinterest and how much you're working on there, give, can you give us an idea of how successful the business has become? Because you know, uh, almost uh, not even a year ago, you were, you sold sixty uh, you know products of your mm-hmm. your planner. Like, what is it looking like today for you? 
Sure. So Pinterest definitely allowed the business to go from just making a thousand or two thousand a month um, to scale it up to five to ten thousand a month in sales. Um, and so you know that was I combined Shopify shop and then two Etsy shops got us to five to ten grand a month in sales. And then you know as I figured out how easy it was honestly to use promoted pins and kind of make those sales on autopilot, I developed a course on Pinterest marketing um, because you know my audience wanted that. Like they were seeing me talk all about Pinterest inside the private Facebook group and how I was using it and how great it was. And so they wanted to learn more. Um, So I created a course for them and that has been amazing. So now I'm surpassing 10 grand a month in sales and just had my first month of over um, 15,000 in sales. So that, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, that's an amazing uh, kind of turnaround in just a year. And I'm really excited to see where you go in a year from now where you have uh, scale this up even more. So that's super excited to hear about that. Cool. So, you know, thanks so much for coming on, Beth Ann. So brilliantbusinessmoms.com is the website. It's where you can check out the planners, um, the course that the course that you are selling, mm-hmm. the, the book, as well as on there. Anywhere else you recommend the listeners go and check out if they want to learn more about you or how you do things? Sure. So my Shopify store, if you go to brilliantbusinessmoms.com forward slash shop, then it'll take you to um, that my Shopify store front so you can kind of see what I have there. Um, and then obviously on Pinterest, I'm at uh, pinterest.com forward slash brilliant moms is my URL there. So you can kind of check out uh, what I'm doing on Pinterest to get more sales. And I know that because obviously everyone listening to this listens, listens to podcasts. Uh, I know you mentioned that you have one out now and you're looking to revamp it and, and uh, you know, um, do more of these uh, podcast episodes. Can you give us an idea of where we can, the listeners can go and find out more about your podcast? Oh, sure. So if you go to brilliantbusinessmoms.com, you'll see... Um, some info about the podcast at the top. And then of course we're in iTunes. So if you just search brilliant business moms in iTunes, you can check out all of our old podcast episodes. Um, we were doing interviews up and up through February and then we'll have some new episodes coming out pretty soon. Awesome. Thanks so much, Beth Ann. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Shopify masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit Shopify.com for a free 14-day trial.